4 in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Armed with the mind of Christ. Armed with the mind of Christ. If you would, stand for reading of God's Word. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in, in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Now, as you know by now, the theme of 1 Peter is strength and comfort and suffering. Strength and comfort and suffering. Remember, they're going through Nero persecution. Peter is encouraging him. Continue. Hold on. Continue. Hang on. Hang on. Now, the last time we meet, we, we, we met, we talked about Jesus Christ triumphant. And in chapter 3, verse 18, we read a short gospel message. Chapter 3, verse 18 says this, and it's very clear. No one can miss this. Very clear. Christ also suffered once for sins. Now, how many times for sins? Once for sins. The just for the unjust, or the, or the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That was the whole point. His death was a one-time death. He sacrificed one time and eradicated our sin debt. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ, your sin debt has been eradicated. Not like the Old Testament sacrifices where animal after animal after animal had to be sacrifices. And then the next time we sinned, they had to sacrifice another animal. Can you imagine the pen of animals you would have to have at your house? I mean, excuse me, they got to be thousands of them over here. you got to feed them, take care of them, to sacrifice over and over. No, Jesus Christ one time sacrificed once for all. And once he sacrificed once for all, remember, when everybody who believes, it's a legal declaration that you are pure and clean. Christ's righteousness has been credited to you. We call that justification. Justification, a legal dec declaration that Christ's righteousness has been credited to you, and now God sees you like he sees his son, pure and holy and clean. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. Now, we saw that he died for our sins, but what did he do after he died? This has always been a mystery. And there's going to come a slide on the screen here that's going to be a repeat of last, last time we met. Now, I want to try to explain this to you as clearly as I possibly can, because there was some confusion last time. When anybody died in the Old Testament that was a believer looking forward to Jesus Christ, they went to a place called Abraham's bosom or paradise. Remember in Luke 16, there was a great gulf separating these two, paradise and torment. And anybody that dies, Old Testament, New Testament today, the holding area for them is torment. Torment. Somebody dies without Christ today, boom, they're in torment. Now, Jesus, when he went into the grave, preached to those who were in prison. That's all we know about that statement. And then we made deductions from that. 
made deductions from that, some thoughtful ideas as to what happened. So I believe that in Abraham's bosom, he, he told these people that the redemptive price was paid, and eventually this would be emptied when he ascended into heaven. When Jesus ascended, this was emptied, and now we know that paradise is in heaven. Why do we know that? Well, we know that because of Paul's statement in Corinthians. He says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Now, Paul had a big experience here. He, had, he didn't know what was going on, but he knew that he went someplace for real. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven, and we had a slide about the third heaven. First heaven, second heaven, third heaven, okay? Third heaven is the abode of God, is the abode of God. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. He mentions it twice. It was a very confusing experience, very dramatic for him. How he was caught up into paradise, paradise, and heard inexpressible words. What did he hear? Inexpressible words. Paul actually went up to the third heaven, where God's abode is, okay? If he's going to isolate himself someplace, that's where he is. He's in the third heaven. Now, he's all over but that's the, that's the focal point of him in the third heaven. And, he, and they heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. This is very different than people that say they've gone to heaven today when they write a book, go on tour, tell everybody they saw the grandmas, and, oh, the flowers, the flowers are so real, they're so beautiful. And they give inexpressible words. The Apostle Paul was not allowed to say anything about that experience, but people today write tons of books about it. Very interesting, very interesting. Now, what was Paul given? He was given a thorn in the flesh to stop him from being prideful. Remember, right after those verses. So this place, Abraham's bosom, is now in heaven. So a believer that dies today, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Boom, very quickly, instantly, a twinkling of an eye. This place is still occupied. An unbeliever dies today, he goes here. What happens to them? At the resurrection, they stand at the great white throne, They'll be judged and then eventually thrown into the lake of fire. Now, is this clear to everyone? I want to make sure this is clear because last time some people said, I didn't understand what you were saying. Well, I'm trying to make this as clear as I possibly can. The third place, and we know he did this, he preached to these spirits here in Tartarus. What did he say to these guys? The redemptive price was paid. No second chances. A lot of people believe there's a second chance after death. There's no second chance. Today is the day of salvation. This is the time that you can choose to serve Christ or not. And I think he made a proclamation to those demons that were in Tartarus. Now, who were the ones in Tartarus? Those who left their domain in Jude verse 6. They left their domain. They left the parameters which God gave them to operate on this earth. The demons have to operate within a constricted area, a constricted way. They're not all powerful. And if they go beyond that, then they're going to be confined. And these, these were confined because of what they did in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, when they cohabitated with women and the Nephilim were produced. There's a lot of discussion of who the Nephilim are and what they are and how they come back and kings and all that stuff. That's not for now. But that's why they were confined. They were confined in Tartarus. This was a permanent, permanent place. The abyss and the bottomless pit are synonyms. These are where demons would go for temporary confinement. We know that because Satan went, went into the abyss in Revelation chapter 20, and he was confined for a thousand years and then released to deceive the nations. 
So that's the clarification on that part of the teaching last time that we met. I hope that's understandable to you. If it is not understandable, please ask me, and I'd be glad to discuss it with you again. Okay? So the lesson that we learn from this is that the, the, the angelic realm have the power of contrary choice, and the human realm has the power of contrary choice. All God's higher creation, he's given the ability to choose contrary to him. Why? Because he wants people to freely love him, to choose to love him. That's the reason why. So the lesson here is choose rightly. Christ is our only hope, and it is a forever decision. Now he goes into last time we met talking about Noah. And eight were saved in the ark. Now, there was a 120-year period of time between when Noah was first notified to build the ark. He was a preacher of righteousness, we see in 2 Peter 2, 4, and 5. And we know that for 120 years, as he was building the ark, that he was telling these people that the flood is coming, turn from your ways, turn back to God. 120 years, and out of that, it says in the scripture here, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, that eight were saved in the ark that eight souls were saved. And that ark is a picture of the Lord Jesus. It's a picture of sanctuary. It is a picture of safety. And then the next verse, he says this. This was an anti-type. Well, a type is a picture. The ark is a picture of Jesus Christ and salvation in Christ. The anti-type is the real thing. And then he uses a confusing phrase here that we tried to elucidate, clarify last time. And that is, this was also an antitype, which antitype which now saves us, baptism. And so people that believe in baptismal regeneration look at this verse as a proof text. But is it indeed talking about water baptism? And I submitted to you, I don't believe that's what it's talking about. Now, I wanted to talk to you just for a second about water baptism. Water baptism follows spirit baptism, which I'll clarify in just a second what spirit baptism is. Everybody that has been born again of the Spirit are indeed baptized with the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation. So water baptism is this. It's an outward sign of an inward change. It's a picture of bearing of the old me, my old life, my old world, my old ways, and raising to newness of life. That is the picture. That is the picture. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is very clear. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. God does something new in you. He makes you into his family. You're, part, you're a child of God. You're a son of God. You are the bride of Christ. It's something new. And Watchman Nee has this to say about baptism. I thought it was a great quote. He had this question to ask. If you would continue in your old ways, in your old man, in your old world, why in the world would you be baptized? When it's a public declaration, I'm leaving that behind. Baptism is not a cursory thing that we do. It's not something that you just jump into lightly and not understand it. It is a very serious thing, and every Christian, when they get saved, should be baptized. There's not a question. It's a command. It's a command of the Lord Jesus and the Great Commission. John Wolvert says this, As the flood wiped away the old sinful world, so baptism pictures one's break from his old sinful life and his entrance into a new life in Christ. It is a picture of a break. It's a picture of the new you. So what are we talking about in this scripture when we're talking about baptism? I believe we're talking about spirit baptism, which happens at the time of salvation. If you would, please, 
turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. We went through some word usage here that is very significant. Hopefully you write this down or write in your Bible or notes or someplace as to what this really means because this is very important. This is, this is a proof text for spirit baptism happening at the time of salvation. We see this. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. That is a past tense. And in the Greek, that is the aorist tense. Aorist tense. A-O-R-I-S-T means it has occurred. It has occurred in the past. It is done. It is done. A one-time event that has occurred. Now, he goes on to say, into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, it's, it's, it's written in the passive voice, in the Greek, the passive voice. All the passive voice means is that the subject isn't doing, what, doing the baptism. It's not you diving into the water, being baptized, or volitionally being baptized. The action is being done by the Holy Spirit on you, on you. So everyone that has been saved, the Spirit of God has come on you and immersed you into the body of Messiah. That is the passive voice. And then who gets baptized? Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And he adds in Galatians chapter 3, male or female. Everybody can be saved. Salvation can go to everybody. And have all been made to drink into one spirit. So, I think that he's talking in this verse about baptism of the, of the Spirit of God because he goes on to say, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through what? The resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. I think that is the focus. Jesus' resurrection has saved us. And whoever believes in that is in baptized into the body of Messiah. Now, this week, armed with the mind of Christ, and I suggest to you, if you walk in this world armed with the mind of Christ, that you are going to shock your world. They're going to see a different you. And they should be shocked by the new you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, please open our eyes to the truth of your word. What we do not know, teach us. And what you teach us, help us to apply. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says this, But we have the mind of Christ. Every believer has the mind of Christ. The Spirit of God has given you this, the mind of Christ. Shock your world. How armed with the mind of Christ. Armed with the mind of Christ. Now, what does this mean to be armed with the mind of Christ? It is to see life, see your world from God's perspective, from Jesus' perspective, from Christ's perspective. It's, it's, it's actually having a biblical worldview. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but we talked about what a biblical worldview is and how important it is, and how you get a biblical worldview. Remember, your doctrine or your teaching, a lot of people say, oh, it's teaching, it's doctrine, it's so dry. Why do we have to learn this? Oh, doctrine and teaching is very important because it determines, doctrine and teaching determines your worldview, how you're going to view the world that you're living in. And your worldview determines your values. And your values will ultimately determine your conduct. Your conduct, how are you going to walk this life out? It is very important to have the mind of Christ. Those with the mind of Christ, we are Christ ambassadors. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.20, as though God were making his appeal through us. The world sees us. We're reflecting Jesus Christ to the world. What are they seeing? What are they seeing? We are overcomers. We are overcomers. 
Everyone born again is called an overcomer in Scripture. But you have to really overcome. You have something called the karatos power of God that allows you to say no to your flesh and yes to the Spirit of God and overcome anything that comes at you in this world. That is the truth of the Word of God. Remember, we represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Our conduct is important here, Philippians 1.27. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's packed with meaning. That's packed with meaning and responsibility for us. Therefore, as we have stated previously, our conduct is important. And hear this, your conduct reflects your master. Your conduct reflects your master. Who really rules your life? Is your master the Lord Jesus? Or is your master still that triunity of evil that works against all humanity, the world system, your flesh that wants the world system, and the devil who exacerbates the whole thing? Which one is in charge of you? It's a battle. It's a battle for the mind. It's a battle for truth, folks. It's a battle for truth. And who you yield to is who will control your life. And that is why we are implored in Scripture, implored in Scripture to be, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, it says, Do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember that filled is palero, cramful, overflowed with the Holy Spirit. Look at the Spirit of God is given to you not in little dripples, not in little, little dry rivers or dry streams, but in rivers. Because Jesus said in John 7, 38, out of you will flow rivers of living water. Rivers. And remember, we work out of the overflow. If you're running around on E, you're not going to impact anybody. We need to overflow with the Holy Spirit. Remember, being filled with the Spirit means being controlled by the Spirit. I volitionally yield myself the Spirit of God. That's what that means. That's what that means. So, how are people seeing you? How are people viewing you as you walk this out in life? How are they seeing you? One person wrote this. When, when American soldiers occupied Western Europe during the Second World War, they were uprooted from their homeland and for a temporary time transplanted onto foreign soil. The Europeans who observed these men had their perception of America shaped by the behavior of what they saw and what they exhibited in that, in, in that culture that they were in. Sadly, for many, that perception wasn't good. American soldiers overseas often viewed their weekend past as a license to unbutton their collars, let their desires run riot in the streets and taverns, and it's no wonder the term ugly American became popular in Europe. The ugly American emerged as a label. For Christians, it is the ugly Christian who has decided to walk in step with the world and look like the world. And what does the world call an ugly Christian? It's that H word, hypocrite. Hypocrite. And it echoes through the culture. Just a bunch of Christian hypocrites. As Christians, we face a similar situation. Our citizenship is in heaven the earth is really not our home. We are what? Aliens and strangers here. And are you feeling a little bit more alien and stranger-like? Just watch the news sometime. If you can stomach it, my recommendation is that you fast from the news. 
Just take a fast. Because you talk about lies coming pumped at you. I'm talking about every one of them. Every one of them. To make up 24-7 news, you've got to bring stuff in that isn't news. Trump called it fake news. Well, that's, that's a good term for it because there's a lot of fake news going on. This is not our home. And while we are here, we're in foreign territory, and we are to be on our best behavior. Why? Because of whom we represent. Whom we represent. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Peter gives some marching orders to Christian soldiers who are stationed on foreign soil. But Folks, we're recon. We're recon. We're behind the enemy lines in, in action. The majority aren't Christian. You are a small minority behind enemy lines to make an impact for the king. We must have be armed with the mind of Christ to see the world from Christ's perspective. Not charmed, not being charmed by the world. Armed with the mind of Christ. Verse 1. That was introduction. Verse 1. Armed. Those armed with the mind of Christ are overcomers. Never, ever, ever forget this. You are not a victim. You are overcomers. The Spirit of God is resident within you. Hear what he says. Even in suffering, even in persecution, therefore. What's the therefore? He's talking about Jesus' triumphant suffering. He suffered, and he is an example for us. All the verses that have led up to this. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, Oh, he says, arm yourselves. That's a military term. Arm yourselves also with the same mind, the mind of Christ. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Great statement. Great statement. Please know this. The world system, your flesh, the devil, will not like the new you. It will, that whole thing will not like the new you. So be armed and ready to expect opposition. Suffering is expected in the Christian life. Something not preached today very often, something very unpopular. You won't hear this in most places because they don't go through this because it's not easy to go through. They're going to choose the cheery ones to give you. That's why preaching the whole counsel of God is important. It gives you the whole picture. Kenneth Woos says this. Peter exhorts the saints to arm themselves with the same mind that Christ had regarding unjust punishment. Expect it. The Greek word translated arm yourselves was use of a Greek soldier putting on his armor and taking his weapons. The noun of the same root was used of a heavily armed foot soldier who carried a piercing spear and a large shield. The Christian needs the heaviest armor he can Get on to withstand the attacks of the enemy of his soul. We need to put on the armor of God. Now, hear this. Those armed, armed with the mind of Christ, not thinking like the world, not being influenced by the world, not the 24-7 stuff that's coming out you, we're armed with the mind of Christ, which we get from where? The Word of God. We have to be in it on a regular basis. Those armed with the mind of Christ are overcomers and must do this. We've heard this before. Deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. Take up our cross daily and follow him. We're not to think like the, like the old man, the old us, the old you. Nuh-uh, it's new. We're thinking differently. We're taking captive thoughts. More on that in just a second. So those changed by Jesus, 
by Jesus, who have the mind of Christ, have the power to represent him in this culture no matter what. No matter what. Look at Paul did, Peter did, James did, Andrew did, Bartholomew did, 11 of the disciples did. All of them, the early church did. Today in the world, through the persecution that is going on worse than any time in history, they are representing the Lord Jesus Christ. They have the power to do this. I want you to think about this. I want, to, I want you to apply this to your life today. Apply this to what you see happening in your world around you today. Think about this. Think about this. Our world is in a free fall. I don't know if you agree with that or not. I hope that you do. You, you have some eyes to see what's going on around you. It's in a free fall. Free fall from God. And to fill the void, people fill the void with whatever they can to put in to fill the void. Things are not getting better. The more we have, have you ever noticed this? The more we have, the more we want. The more we have, the more we want. Never satisfied, floundering, falling, and people generally have this feeling of something's wrong, but I can't, I don't know exactly what is wrong. We can tell them the culture has been abandoned God. That's what's wrong. But there's this general sense that's going on. Families are falling apart. As a matter of fact, in America today, what is a family? What is a family? Many children are in an abject rebellion against their parents. Parents are not parenting. Parents are buying off, parents are buying off their kids. They're not spending time with their kids. They're not teaching their kids. They're allowing other venues to teach them, like the schools. Guess what they're learning there? A worldview that is contrary to God. The workplace stress is going out of, out of sight. And along with that, workplace indolence or laziness. How hard is it to get somebody to come to work for five straight days? <gasps> five straight days, I can't believe it. Oh, yes. Indolence or to pass a drug test. Production pressures are off the charts, like I said. There's a genuine feeling that something's wrong. You know why there's a genuine feeling that something's wrong? I believe this because you, because there is something wrong. But anyway, because 24-7, you are being pumped in with information that is part truth and part lie, and it's stressful when you hear it on a continuum of something's happened in Bangladesh. Oh, no, something's happened in Bangladesh. You know, we're inundated with information that heretofore no one would ever know about. Heretofore, no one, you wouldn't be impacted by that information. But now we are, 24-7. Contentment, what in the world is contentment? What is contentment today? Well, it's a sense of fullness, having all of your needs full, filled. And you know what people are doing today to be content? Substances, anything that they can, food addictions, exercise addiction, Eastern religion, hmm, please make me content, hmm, Eastern stuff. You know, none of this stuff, none of this stuff. And then, and on top of all of this, enter into it the world's philosophies. Remember Colossians 2, 2, verses 8 and 9? See to it that none of you are captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies that depend on human tradition or the basic principles of this world. See to you that you are not caught up in this. Make sure you're not caught up on this 24-7 input that you're getting from technology. See to it. See to it. You look at Enter the world's philosophies. Exit peace. 
exit the shalom of God. You know what the shalom of God is? It isn't just the absence of turmoil. The, the shalom in the Old Testament word for, for peace is shalom. It means this, wholeness, prosperity. I like that. A sense of fulfillment, a sense of all is well. All is well. It's much more than our, our view of peace. So what is the problem? People have swallowed hook, line, and sinker the results of having the mind of the world impacting them, having the mind of the world world impacting them. Look at we need the mind of Christ to navigate through this. The mind of the world is impacting people like you can't believe, like we can't believe. And it's resulting in this, no joy, no peace, and no purpose. You ask a young person today, what's your purpose? If you ask me when I was young and asked me, what's your purpose? And I would just go, Duh, I, okay, I have to discover this. What's your purpose? Why are you here? Why do you take up space? Why are you matter? Have space and have weight and occupy space. Why do you matter? And, there, and, and we're on this treadmill of frustration. What's it all about? You know what it's all about? It is to know Christ and to love him forever. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Now, there's a caution here, a huge caution, capital letters caution, capital letters caution. Watch this. The world wants you. The world wants you back. It wants you back. And it doesn't want you getting out of its grasp. Interesting. Those armed with the mind of Christ must stand with their armor on. Remember Ephesians 6? 11 through 18, and will not be victims of the mind of the world. And the emphasis here is stand. Stand. Stand your ground. Don't be moved by the tsunami of the culture. Don't be moved by what's happening around you. Take a stand for the Lord Jesus. I'm serious. Take a stand. We talked about the word stand is histomai, and it means to remain to abide, to continue, to not cave, not quit, and not turn and run. That's what it means. You're taking a stand. I'm a Christ follower. I am not going to be moved by this world. I don't care if 24-7 they come at me and tell me, you're the only weirdo out there that's doing this, Rick. I'm taking a stand for the Lord Jesus. It's important. It is important. You know, you have your whole armor. He's given you a whole thing in Ephesians 6 about your armor. Feet shod with the readiness of gospel of peace. Belt of, belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Get your sword sharpened. Know some word of God, which is the word of God. It's your only offensive weapon. Sharpen your sword and take a stand. Verse 11, in chapter Ephesians 6, 11, it says this. Stand against the wiles of the devil. You know what that word wiles is? Methodia, his methods, his well-thought-out methods that have worked against humans all through history. His methodia. Verse 13, it says this, Take up the whole armor to withstand. Verse 14, Stand with your armor on. Soldiers with the mind of Christ must stand armor up, armored up, armored up, ready to go. 
Chuck Swindoll says this, this word picture offers a blunt reminder that we Christians are not living on earth as tourists. We are not vacationing our way to heaven. It's not a picnic here. You're not on a picnic on earth. We are soldiers. Everywhere around us, the battle rages. The danger is real. The enemy is formidable. Christ died not only to gain victory over sin's dominion, but to equip us. To equip us. We're soldiers. We're soldiers, folks, for that fight. To give us the inner equipment we need to stand against the wiles of the enemy. What's missing in our culture? Christians taking a stand. A stand for truth. A stand for truth. Know this. Those with the mind of Christ, we see in verse 1b, have ceased from sin. Armored up, suffering for the faith, sin will not be your master. For Romans 6.14. Sin will no longer be your master. Not, we're not enamored with the world's trinkets. We're taking our stand, remaining, abiding. Look at, be all out for God. This is our one time here. We don't go, we don't get second chances with this. There's no reincarnation. This is our time. This is our time. Love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, as it says in the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. And if you want to overcome and be a victor, have the mind of Christ and stand. And nothing, I mean nothing else, will get you through this battle. Remember, baby Christians don't stand and fight. Do they? Babies don't stand. Baby, they're crawling around. They take a lot of help. They take people out of action to keep, keep them going. We're looking for mature believers, folks, to take a stand. Take a stand and fight. Look at there's all kinds of wolves that want to come into your life. All camouflage, looking just like a lamb. You know what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11? It says this, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. That's scary. There are people that are going to look good, sound good. Remember, Satan has to give truth mixed with lie in order to hook you in. And that's what's happening in the culture today. Wolves getting in with the sheep. Be discerning. Be discerning. Don't buy into every move that's coming into Christendom. Be discerning. Be people of the book. People of the book. Be discerning. Verse 2 and 3. Those armed with the mind of Christ are transformed, and I would suggest to you this is a must. You must be transformed. That's talking about sanctification, being set apart unto Christ. Verse 2 and 3. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men. That's transformation. That's transformation. But for the will of God, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness and lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries, that was our past life. Hopefully we've taken a trip out of that. We move from that. Okay? The transformed are not overcome by their old nature. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not, as a Philip says, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Only then, after you have been transformed, will you know what the will of God is. Very important concept. And he warns us in this text. He warns us no longer the rest of the time in the flesh for the lust of men. The lust of men. Lust is epithemio. It means upon the mind. It's the disease condition of the soul. Remember, soul, thoughts, feelings, emotions. That's not saved. That has to constantly be brought under control. Your spirit's saved, but your flesh and your soul are fighting, in essence, against you. You must input into your mind, it's a mind battle, things that are of God in order to win this battle. You must do that. So, no longer lives for the lusts of men. Now, how do the transformed live? The transformed live for the will of God. Is that really our lives? Do you get up in the morning and say, Lord, what is your will for me today? Or do you get up saying, okay, what am I going to do myself, me, myself, and I today? Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish today? And can you know the will of God? And I say, yes, you can know the will of God. Just a couple examples. Just a couple examples. First of all, it's God's will that you know his son, that you know his son and be saved. 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And then once you're saved, it is the will of God, 12, 1, Romans 12, 1 and 2, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you're conformed to the likeness of Christ, that you're mature, maturing, you're in a process of maturation, not staying babies, not staying babies. Peter, just in his letters, talks about the will of God, submitting to civil authorities. Remember, we, we talked about that. It is God's will that we are good citizens. Unless the government tells us to do something contrary to the word of God, then we must take a stand. Then we must take a stand. It is God's will for believers to suffer. The whole first Peter is about that, according to the will of God. And it's, it's a God's will in first Peter not to live self-centered lives. Look, the transformed live for the will of God. Secondly, the transformed, verse 3, do away with godless living. Do away with godless living. A changed you is not acting like the old you. Cursory Christians, hear this statement, cursory Christians, toe-in Christians. I'm a little bit in Christianity. My toe is in Christianity, but what is, where's the rest of me? In the world. In the world, okay? There's no victory there. There's no victory. I guess I should finish the statement. Lifelong babies will never experience victory and wonder, what is wrong with Christianity? It doesn't quite work for me. What's the problem? Well, you've stayed in your toe in. Christianity's all in. It's not, if I could leap with my left leg, I would leap over here. Okay, I did a little leap. All in. All in. Not in the world. All in Christ. All in Christ. That's the picture. So, verse 3. Enough of our past life. And he goes through this litany of things. Lewdness which means license without restraint. You don't care what people think. I'm going to do my thing. I don't care what people say. I'm going to do my thing. You ever hear that? 
just think flesh. Somebody says that, just flesh, flesh. Lust, the desires, cravings for whatever. Drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. All of them are past. Our past. The transformed are past. That's your past life. Those with the mind of Christ, those who are successful Christians, live for the will of God and do away with godless living. This is expected. This isn't strange Christianity. This is expected. Any man in Christ is a new creation. It's expected. You're to walk in newness of life. This is a new you. This is a new you. The old man is dead, Romans 6, 6. Old life is gone. All things have become new. God is doing a new thing in you. He's changing you from the old you to the new you. Cooperate. That's what we have to do. Cooperate in that process. Verse 4 and 5. Almost done. Those armed with the mind of Christ can expect, oh, expect this, push back from the world. Expect it. Verse 4 and 5. In regard to these, they think it strange or weird that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation or the pursuit of evil. These are your friends. They think it's strange that you're not walking in that life anymore. But notice verse 5. Then they speak evil of you, and then verse 5, they will give an account to him. Who's him? God on that day who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Those who are oppressing you will give an account for that oppression. Let's develop this very quickly. Your family, your friends, will not understand the new you. Just be ready to accept that. Just know that when you really get into Christianity, they're going to think you're wacky, okay? It's very common for them to speak evil of you because they want the old you back. They want to lure you back. Have you ever heard this? Oh, he's got religion. He's got religion. Oh, that's the worst thing in the world. It's worse than TB. He's got, got religion. Oh, no, goody two-shoes. This won't last long. I've seen this before in a lot of other people. This won't last long. Don't, don't. He or she is just like us. The world will not like your change. Listen, when a person is saved, Satan, believe me, there is a devil in a demonic realm, will do everything he can to try to trip you up. The person's flesh will want the old, comfortable ways. Your flesh will constantly want to go back to the comfort of the old. And the world system, oh, don't underestimate, the world system will entice you to go back to it. The call of the world, the siren call of the world never ceases. It will not cease until you're dead. Don't ever think it's not going to be luring to you. You have to set up boundaries, set up cautions. I'm not going there because the lure of the world is always there until we're out of here. Until we're out of here. These are formidable foes. Be ready. Now, you ever wonder this? Please hear this. Why is it so tough to change? And I will tell you, it's because of strongholds. It is strongholds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Strongholds are persistent sin habits. 
long-established patterns of behavior. Hey, people deal with anger, repeated failures, depression, confusion, fear, addictions, and you can just keep going on and on and on with that. These are strongholds. Those patterns that have been well-established in your brain, these tracks that are developed in your brain, well-established, gone over and over and over, that have taken you into these areas that are now strongholds and they own you. That's why it's hard. And these have to be dealt with. These have to be dealt with. Now, the cure is this. First of all, know your rights as a Christian. You have your rights. You have your rights as a Christian. That's to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. But in 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, we see these words. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin or does not continue in sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself or guards himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. And we use that word haptomai. Cling onto him. Grasp onto him. Hold on to him. See, as a Christian, you can, Satan doesn't have any authority over you. But he lures you into areas where, oh, now you're in an area of unprotection. Now you're in an area where you shouldn't be. And then he can cling on to you, drag you down. That's where depression comes in. That's where anxiety comes in. That's where all the spheres come in. That's where all the stuff comes in that keeps you bound up. Know your rights. Leave no gaps, holes, or breaches in your soul. Remember, your soul is your mind, thoughts, feelings, emotions. No gaps. Secondly, do not give the enemy anything to cling to. Walk in the newness of life. Walk, live this thing out in the new you. Thirdly, recognize the enemy tactics. Look at, forbid him entrance. The word, remember, he has his schemes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, his, his methods. Know these methods. Know when you're being tricked. Know when you're being lured. Take a stand and say, no, I won't go there. And when you really feel the demonic oppression, you write out loud, claim who you are in Christ. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have no rights here. Be gone, enemy. And then throw out the scripture to him. God is my Savior. God is my Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ died for me. Salvation is found in no one else. But there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. You throw that out and they will leave you. They do not want to hear the word of God. That's your sword. That's your sword. And then no discouragement, no confusion, no depression, no control. How? For 2 Corinthians 10.5, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Change the pathways. Change the pathways, those well-developed paths. I am not going down that road anymore. Fill it with the Word of God. Fill it with some positive inputs. Some positive inputs. It's very important. Very important. Use the sword of the Spirit and say it right out loud, the Word of God. Finally, remember this. This is all ending. This is all ending. And judgment is sure. Judgment is sure. Knowing this, does it make any sense to live for this world for the pleasures of a moment that will cost you maybe your destiny? We'll all be judged. We'll all be judged fairly. For those who are saved, you're going to be judged for your works at the Bema Seat Judgment and receive rewards or loss of rewards. You're going to be in heaven, but you're going to be disappointed because you didn't serve the Master. Can't develop that a whole lot right now. Those who are lost will appear at the Great White Throne Judgment. The books will be open and they'll end up in the lake of fire, separated from God forever. Know your rights. 
Know who you are. Know that judgment is sure. The world will not understand your change or your convictions. Let me give you an example here. Donald Barnhouse gives an example of a man who marched to a different beat, to a different drum. His name was Eric Little. And he's the guy in the chariots of fire. And he stood for his convictions. In the summer of 1924, the young Scot, Eric Little, faced two great moments of his life. As a student of ministry, he was soon to be ordained as an aspiring sprinter. He was favored to bring glory to England by winning the 100-meter dash at the Olympic Games in Paris. When Little discovered that his event was scheduled for a Sunday afternoon, it was a crucial moment for him. He believed that it was not to the glory of God for him to compete on a Sunday. That was his conviction. He took a stand. He took a stand. This guy trained for the 100 meters for who knows how long. And he took a stand and says, this is more important than this race. Just a thought. What did he do? He changed his plans. He entered a different race, scheduled for a different day of the week. The young Scott made one major change in his daily round of study and athletic practice. He dropped his customary nightly discussion with his classmates. After the evening meal, he left the dining hall, disappeared, and returned to his room hours later, tired and spent. His friends were perplexed, but he never told them where he went. The whole world learned his secret at the Olympics. Eric Little received the gold medal as a 400-meter champion. Those are completely different races. Totally unexpected. Surprised the world. The world was surprised by God that day. Eric Little not only made a record for the speed in the 400-meter class, he made a record of God's work in a man's heart and a testimony to faithfulness. Eric Little was, a faithful, was faithful in one thing, and the Lord honored him in another. Hear this. When you take a stand, when you have conviction, the world looks and says, how strange. And God looks and says, how strong. How strong. And you can almost hear the applause of heaven for those who take a stand. Eric Little was armed with the mind of Christ. And for us, be armed with the mind of Christ. Take a stand. Don't waver. Don't cave. Don't run. Verse 6. The Bible is honest. It may cost you to live armed with the mind of Christ. Verse 6, very quickly. For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. What I believe this is is the... The words that those who are dead refer to Christian believers who had died in faith, taking a stand, judged by this world as being crazy. I would sooner be judged by this world as being crazy and hear the applause of heaven any day. It's real, folks. This is passing. It's real. Many Christians suffer in this world for Christ, more in this century than any time on earth. Think about this. Does it make any sense to live for the pleasures of this world and sacrifice your eternal destiny? Does it make any sense? Think, where will you be a hundred years from now? Your short time here will be over soon, and it's nothing compared with eternity. All of us die. Can you say truthfully, I will trust in the Lord until I die? Can you say that? All have a destiny. A hundred years from now, None of us will be here. None of us. Our time will be past. Life is but a vapor. Here for a moment and gone. Let me close with some insight from Leonard Ravenhill. Leonard Ravenhill, just to give you some background, in his 40s, Len was involved in an awful hotel fire. 
1951, which he escaped with serious internal and bone injuries, that it would silence many mortals. But this is a man who must live to tell us how he overcame the shadow of debilitating pain and death itself to live out a full destiny. He was an overcomer. Leonard was transformed. Len took a stand. He proved to a generation a rare walk with God. Relatively few came to his funeral. In 1994, at the age of 87, he passed. But then all his life, he sought to point men and women away from himself and back to Christ. So why would his death be any different? Leonard often read in his sermons a favorite poem quoted in a book titled A Hundred Years From Now by Walden Parker. Please hear these words. It will not make any difference, friend, a hundred years from now. If you live in a stately mansion or on a river scow, if the clothes you wear are tailor-made or pieced together somehow, if you eat big steaks or beans and cake a hundred years from now, it won't matter your bank account or make of car you drive, for the grave will claim all riches and fame and the things for which you strive. There's a deadline that we all must meet and no one will be late. It won't matter then all the places you've been. Each one will keep that date. We'll only have in eternity what we gave away on earth. When we go to the grave, we can only save the things of eternal worth. What matters, friends, the earthly gain for which some men always bow? For your destiny will be sealed, you see, a hundred years from now. Sobering, isn't it? Sobering. Those armed with the mind of Christ will live for him, serve him, and if need be, die for him. A hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, eternity from now, you will be glad you did, and that's good news. God will be rewarding you. For those who take a stand, God will be rewarding you a million years from now, a gillion years from now, a septrillion, billion, zillion years from now. Those transformed, armed with the mind of Christ, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Amen. Amen. I like that. Yeah. Take a stand. Make a difference, folks. Live armed with the mind of Christ and shock your world. This is our time. This is our time. We can never have a brighter light than now. As it gets darker, we are lighter. Take a stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to study your word. Thank you that you've given us this word. It truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It does direct our steps. Thank you that it tells us about the Master, tells us about our great God. Lord, our relationship is with our God. We've learned about you through this word. Thank you. We've learned about you through your Holy Spirit. Thank you. We learned about you, Father, through your Son. It was exactly like you. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Philip said. Lord, thank you that you have modeled this life and a way to live it for us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live this life out with the mind of Christ and be victors and overcomers and not victims. Lord, help us to walk this thing in strength your strength. We have no strength on our own. We lean totally on you. Fill us to overflowing with your spirit. And may we be lights in this culture. Don't hide our lights, Lord. May we not hide our lights, but let them shine for your honor and your glory, because it'll be worth it all 
when we see Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.